Hi friends, welcome to the Gritty and Curious show. I'm your host, Austin Schlesinger, the founder of Gritty and Curious, where we are on a mission to build the next generation of educators and creators. If this sounds like you, we'd encourage you to join the Gritty and Curious community. Here, we give, you cre- give creators the network, knowledge, and opportunities to start their next venture. DM me on Twitter or LinkedIn if you're interested, and you can also hit us up on grittyandcurious.com as well for more information. My guest today is the gritty and curious Juan David. Juan David is 17 years old. He is the author of Generation Optimism, a book aimed to inspire the next generation of doers. He's a two times TEDx speaker. He's the CEO and founder of Optimum Smart, a company that helps and advises businesses in social media and marketing. And he's also in the process of writing another book. So stay tuned for that as well. We talk about that a little bit. Today, we talk about a lot of different things. Um, first of all, we talk about advice for people looking to start something, how to write a book, how to stay motivated during long-term projects. This has always been something I've always struggled with, so it was good to kind of share that struggle with him and kind of hear his advice on how to stick with a long-term project like learning a language or writing a book. Another thing we speak about is how he learned to speak English fluently in six months. That's an incredible feat, and it's really interesting to kind of hear how he broke down that process and kind of taught himself how to do that very quickly. We talk about how he started exploring how to start businesses at 13 years old. We talk about his mission to create the next generation of doers, and he shares his thoughts on what it means to be gritty and curious. It was a very insightful conversation, and I'm super excited to share it with you all, so let's get right into it. So I was born and raised in Venezuela, which is a country in South America. I was born and raised there for 14 years of my life, and that's where I am, and that's where I live from. However, in 2016, we started to receive threats from the government and and criminals, and our days were numbered. We either left a life, you know, we either live a life with luxuries in Venezuela or go somewhere else and live a very frugal life. But when we had the opportunity to to live safely, and that's what we did. And that's what that decision that we made in 2016. So that's when we moved to the United States in 2016. Um, and again, we started from zero all over again. We didn't know. We, very, we barely knew people. We barely knew the language. And it was quite a challenge and quite a journey. So I read your story and I know a little bit about you, but one of the biggest challenges that you had when you first came to the United States was that you couldn't speak English and it's difficult to learn when, because everything around you was in English. So kind of how did you approach that first challenge and how did you set yourself up for success? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know in English and English is, um, it's, it's an easy, technically an easy language to learn. And again, I mean, my English isn't perfect, but I was very okay. strategic to about it, how to make it happen. And, you know, I, I, I kind of was a little crazy too. Uh, but yeah, so I told myself before this. Yeah, so I started as a freshman in high school. And before the first day of high school, I told myself, I'm going to learn English in one day. What do you think it happened? What do I think it happened? Yeah, you probably yeah, didn't yeah. learn it in one day. You sure? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. 
Now, well, now you're making me second guess myself. That's kind of <laughs> kind of crazy. If you could teach teach me how to learn a language in a in a day, then I'd pay you a lot of money for it. How much? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, well, <laughs> it didn't happen. And the only thing I had was a bunch of headaches. But I tried again and told myself, a week. No way. I wasn't even close. And then I told myself, again, a month. You know, I had learned a few words and phrases, but nothing close to fluency. I tried again and told myself, six months. And by the end of the six months, I, I was able to understand and communicate with my teachers and classmates clearly and I was pretty much fluent in an atomic six months. And I think what I learned from that story and I mean I was I couldn't believe it because people and teachers and, and this and that will always tell you, you know what, maybe you're going to learn English by the time you go to college or maybe you're going to learn English if you work hard in two, three years. It was a long time and I wasn't willing to you know just be complacent about it and just kind of learn English by, by, by just, I don't know, by, by nature. I was very strategic about it and how to make it happen. And one of the things was setting goals, crazy goals that I'm, I know I may not achieve. But if I, if I don't try, I will never get those things and achieve those things. And that's something that ever since then has influenced me in how I think and how I make decisions. So what was that process like? Like, what did you, did you read books? Did you do courses? Yes. What was your, what was your strategy? Because so I, I, let's, say, let's say I wanted to learn Spanish in the amount of time you learn English. What, how would I go about doing that? What's my plan? Definitely. So I have a, I, I, like I develop a three step plan and here's kind of how it goes. And again, people are going to say, sure, like you were young and like this and that. Sure. But I, I was pretty fluent. I was fluent almost like on like a, like an old person in a way, like not like an old person, but like a person who, you know, like I, I wasn't like a kid uh, in a way, um, like a baby, you know, like one time it's, it's kind of funny because someone asked me, you know, like an, an adult and he asked me, so you've only been here in the U S for two years. Does that mean that, you know, English, like a two year old, of course not. I mean, come on, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, like, he literally asked me, like, I thought he was joking, but he, apparently he wasn't. So here's what he did. Three steps. So the first thing that I did was understand how the structure in the English language language works. So in any language that you're trying to learn, you have to do this three things. Number one, you have to understand and, and learn these subjects. I, you, he, she, we, they, etc. Once you know that, you're going to understand about 20% of the language, which is pretty good. Second step, you learn the verbs and tenses. I am, I was, I will be, you would be, I wouldn't, I would, and, and so on. Once you know that the verbs and tenses, you're going to understand another 30%. So just understanding the subjects in the verse and tenses, you know 50% of the language, half. And then the last step is memorizing words. That's literally what it is. And you can, you know, like we can talk about how to do that in, in staff, but I basically learned some memorization techniques and basically just memorize a bunch of words and that's kind of how I did it. Um, but basically 
Learn the subjects, number one. Number two, learn the verbs and tenses. And number three, just memorize, memorize the words. So you have this, this three-step process, but what percentage of it was, you know, just immersing yourself in the culture and moving to the United States and being around people that are speaking English? Because I think that just from like experience, I only speak English, but I think I would like to learn a, another language. And all my friends who have spoken that speak several languages, they tell me, you know, if you're if you learn a language and then you're away from it and you don't speak, speak it for a while. Like one of my friends studied abroad in France for two years and he was fluent in French. He came back to the United States and he went to college and he totally lost it. Like, and then he was trying to get back into it. So I guess what level, how much of it was, you know, immersing yourself in the culture and talking to people in English and stuff like that. Here's what I'll say. Imagine that you don't know how to swim and you're basically thrown into the ocean. That's basically what happens when you're basically immersing the culture. You don't have a plan. You don't have the structure to make it happen. Sure, it helps because you basically learn by nature, but you learn by friction in a kind of type of way. And the reason why people learn when they are kind of immersed in the culture is because they are basically forced. Like they, they have no option to do so but i think that that shouldn't be an excuse or to not learn a language i think you should you should still try and and do it yourself um so for example um like i'm learning in chinese like mandarin uh because it's such a important language to to learn and again i mean if you it's super hard and sure i, I don't live in china uh per se but I force myself. I basically have my computer, my iPad, everything in Chinese. I learn Chinese every single day using apps or using whatever. And oh, your computer's in Chinese. My iPad and yeah, like so, like in Chinese. I probably don't understand a lot, but I force myself. So it's kind of like you're immersing yourself into that type of thing. Um. So that helps. Like for example, when I say when I send emails. People think like, hey, like, why is your like characters like, or like, why does it say like you're not from and to and like subject and everything in Chinese? Uh, because like the like the system, like the like the software, since in Chinese, it sends the emails in Chinese. And, and for me, like, I, I have no way to to change it. Um, so having Chinese and I learn every single day, like using Duolingo and using apps like that. That, and again, like watching movies and then you know, like everything that everything that you hear people say. Uh, uh -huh. Plus, again, forcing yourself. If like if you don't have like the um, the discipline, which is hard at the beginning. Yeah, so that's what I was referring to at first when you're like, you know, what's your plan? And I was thinking, oh, you must be doing like Duolingo or something. But I totally get it because my so my roommate, like I said, he um he studied abroad in France. He came back and just kind of lost French, like his ability to speak French, and then he changed his phone to be only in French. So whenever I'm looking at his phone, like he'll show me something and I'll be like, dude, I, I don't understand what your, phone, what your phone is saying. But I guess, yeah. So if you, if I ever wanted to learn Spanish, then I would just, that would, it's all about immersing yourself in, in what it is and kind of learning that way, I guess. 
I would challenge you. I would challenge you. Do it right now. Do it right now. It doesn't matter. Like if you don't like if, if it's too hard, just change like just change it back to to English. It doesn't matter. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? Like like nothing. Like uh but like I would challenge you right now to to do it. And see if, if it works, works. If it doesn't, it doesn't work. I might have to do it. <laughs> you you've inspired me. You've inspired me. But okay, so you you overcome this obstacle, you learn English, and then what's the What's the next thing you do? You know, you're you're the CEO of Optimum Smart. You also wrote a book called Generation Optimism. You know, once you had that English under your belt, what was the first thing that you did? Definitely. So knowing the language would open up a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that I wanted to do. And if you don't know a language, like we're nothing. So you I needed to know the language and I needed to know that. So after that, uh, I began to learn a lot more about um, like marketing and social media, because I realized that a lot of businesses and companies in my area and where I live were not taking advantage of social media. So that was back in 2016. They were not using social media to get more clients and increase their sales. And I couldn't understand why. Like, for me, it was common sense. Like it, it was like a no brainer. Like why not? I mean, it's free. Like you have to open up an account and do it. But people didn't have the time. And so I saw that opportunity. And I decided to pursue it. And I, you know, at the time I was like 13, 14 years old, um, year old. And I went and learned everything about social media marketing and, and how to talk to people. Because apparently when you're 13 or 14, people don't really trust you when <laughs> about their business. So I learned to talk and like how to present well and how to explain myself. And those, those little things that, are, that doesn't seem that don't seem important, but they are crucial. And so what, what was that like process? Like you're 13, 14 years old, you find this gap in the market. People need help with their social media and with marketing. Where did you go to learn about this stuff? And kind of how did you, what obstacles did you, were you confronted with initially? Definitely. In so starting I, your business. Definitely. I mean, everything is online. Everything on Google. Um, Again, you just need to have the desire and the intention to do it in order to do it. Like we don't even have to have money to buy the books. We don't have to, we don't need to have anything. We just need to have the intention to actually do it and learn. So I went to Google, YouTube. Uh, at the time I didn't read didn't read the uh, books. Uh, I don't know. I, I, like that wasn't into me that much. I later like later down the road I began reading books like crazy. But at the time I didn't read books or anything. So YouTube. Uh, email, I mean, not email, uh, like asking people who are in the business, uh, kind of like what people call mentors, like not really mentors, but people who just, I just email them, hey, I have a question or this and that. Um, I did that. Uh, and like the challenges, of course, like I said, I mean, the problem with people don't really trust like 14 year old and, and, and teens and like you do and run like your business online. That's not something. So like you really have to be better than anyone and, and really know what you're talking about. And how do you do that? You do that by being confident and in, in knowing what you're talking about. And again, you really have not, you have to learn how to talk to people, how to present and how to sell and those things that don't seem important, but are crucial and people, a lot of people don't understand it. Um, and it, it was a challenge. It was a challenge because, again, I got 14 year old, you really know English, but 
for me, like that, that was also a way to learn and master the the language in a way, because I I, I needed to understand the language because I we need to talk to these people. Uh, so it, it was fun. It was a, quite a journey. So was there a specific interaction that you can look back on where someone was like, "Dude, you're 13. Like you're you're not running you're not running the marketing for my business." Um, yeah, I mean, like, I would go like door, like door to door to like to places and stuff. And, you know, like at first I would go about by myself. Um, and people were like, who are you? Like, are you trying to buy something or like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you were trying, like, you want to do like social media marketing? People, people thought were, people thought I was joking. And I think one experience was one time, um, like the, I think like the owner of a, of a company had like a, like a son or something. I think, I think he was like about my age and he was like, Hey, like my, my son is only playing like video games all the time. And he doesn't know anything about like my business. So like how, like you barely know English. Like how are you going to know more than my son who sure. Like he spends all the time playing video games, but like he probably knows more than you do. And like the like you know it's kind of a tough experience, but like looking back at it, it was it was funny in a way, um, and that experience just pushed me to be better, to work harder, and to really do it. Like just go and and do it. I mean that, that's if you have the desire to do it in intention, it's only a matter of putting that work. So what would you tell someone that's in? that position or is looking for looking to start something but kind of needs that is is hesitating there they don't want to fail they don't want to have the difficult conversations they don't want someone to tell them like yeah my my son probably knows more than you like why would i pay you to do that if he doesn't if if he knows more than you you know what what kind of inspires you to keep creating what would you tell somebody that is hesitant to start their own thing that failure and those experiences that are super uncomfortable and I'd rather not have those are just part of the journey. They're always going to be there. Like failure and those things that are going to happen for sure. And what's going to matter is how you respond to those things when they happen. Um, you know, Stephen Hawking, the physicist, said once, intelligence is the ability to adapt. And you really have to have you really have to know how to adapt and how to react when those things happen. Because honestly, I could have, well, the moment he said that, I could have just gone crazy and like, oh, shut up or something and like be rude or anything. But I didn't. I controlled myself and I said, thank you so much. Uh, I, you know, I left my business card and everything. And then I I, I, I went. Uh, I went to the, to the next place and I, I kept it going. But... You really have to know that failure is going to be there. You really have to know that those experiences are going to happen. But what you really need to be thinking about in those moments is your goal and your mission that you're trying to accomplish. And not necessarily the like those things that happen, like those moments, because they're going to happen. Like I said, they're always going to happen. They're going to be there for sure. But you really have to think about the long, well, the long run, the long term, and your actual goal, and your actual 
mission. So how do you come up with, with your mission? Because I've tried to do this multiple times. You sit down and you're like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. This is, this is my mission. These are my goals to get there. It's, it's hard to do that because it's, it's changing. There's things that are pulling you in a bunch of directions. How do you focus on what matters, determine what matters and set goals to get to where you want to go? So most truth are paradoxical, meaning they're, they're very counterintuitive. So if you're trying to come up with what, with, with what you're going with, what you want to do with the rest of your life, the worst, the absolute worst thing you, that you can do is actually sitting down and think about how you're going to do for the rest of your life. That's not how you do it. At least that's the, what, that's the, what I didn't do. How do you do it? You go out and explore the world. Uh, one, one thing that I did was I started business. I started reading books. I started doing all bunch of crazy stuff. So, for example, in school, I would join a club every like i would have meetings like like i usually have like two clubs every single day but for me like that like that was a, that was a, that was a, a way to explore what i like and what i don't like so once you know what you don't like you can focus on the things that you like and and, and do those things so for example i would i join a on saturday mornings it was early in the morning about eight in the morning people well, like most people wouldn't do it but i would wake up and go to a uh, Fermilab, which is basically a particle accelerator for like for high like high particle physics and when they find when, when like dark matter and dark energy and stuff like that. So we'll go and and go there and, and learn from these scientists and these researchers. Am I going to be a physicist? I don't know, but I just wanted to explore and really know because like all the time, like we all, we're always assuming things. Like it's it's insane how many things we, we assume every single day. We don't have to assume. Like we, we actually have to go out in there and see. Do I like it? Do I not like it? And then you can make the decision. Hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I like to do. And you go out and do it. That's really hard for a lot of people too because everybody's judging everybody and everybody thinks. Like I, I like what you said about assumptions. We assume that someone's judging us. We assume that if we do this, this will happen. And it's all about putting yourself out there and like, screw the assumptions. I'm just going to go try this. If I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. And if I do like it, then I can pursue it. Exactly, exactly. So you wrote a book. It's called Generation Optimism. Why did you write the book? You wrote this when you were 16. What inspired you? What was the process like? Elaborate a little bit on your book. Definitely. So the book is about optimism and how to create the next generation of doers and dreamers. So why did I write this book? I mean, I never wanted to be an author. I never thought I was going to write a book or, or be an author or do something like that. Uh, and again, I'm not an author. I don't consider myself a writer. I don't consider myself those things. But what I do look is that that was a way to get the message across and do what I wanted to do, accomplish with the book. So why a book about optimism? So one day I was reading an article and a research paper about how my generation is one of the most pessimistic generations in the history of humankind. So for me, that was super crazy. Like how 
It is true. How is this happening? If we're literally living in the best time in history. Are you kidding me? So I couldn't believe it. So, and then I, I went and understand and, and why that was happening and how this is happening and this and that. And I decided to write a book with a Georgetown professor. Um, I, I can go more on the story of how I met this professor and all in this and that. And the premise of the book and the and what I tried to do with the book was to inspire this generation and future generations to embrace a worldview of optimism. Because beyond optimism, beyond all the positivity and this and that, I believe that optimism is that way to change the world and to make an impact. Yeah, and I agree. And that was, it's crazy. And I, you look around and people are generally pessimistic. And I'm not sure what kind of drives that. I mean, what do you, why do you think people, our generation is so pessimistic? There are mostly two causes. Let's go one, one by one. Number one, genetics. Let me give you an example. So let's go back to the beginning of time and... You were, you know, let's imagine that we were having this conversation in a jungle and you hear a sound and you see that the, like the bush in front of us started moving. So now you have two alternatives. You now, th you think that that could be a tiger or a lion, or you think that just basically the wind. Most people, if you want to survive, you need it to be negative. You, you would rather thought it was a lion or it was a tiger or, or was something bad so you could survive. So negativity was our survival mechanism. That was the way for us to survive. Now, we don't have to do that. We don't have tigers. We don't have lions trying to chase us around and, and kill us. And like I said in the beginning, the, the like this quote, it's so important for me by Stephen Hawking. Intelligence is the ability to adapt. And we need to be intelligent and adapt to this current world and understand that the negativity and all of this isn't helping us as it was helping us before. Um, and really understand that. And and the so that's one reason the number one the, the genetics and we're basically genetically wired to be negative so it's like human nature essentially to degree. kind of exactly kind of and then the and the second one is that every aspect of the world has gotten to a point where it's so good that we basically kind of have lost the perspective of what was good and what was bad. So, for example, the average person in the in the U.S. probably living very comfortably. Um, you know, they they have food, they have a phone, they have they have a pretty comfortable life. And even if you go to kind of like third world countries, they have decently good life. Of course, it could be better, but they have decently good life in way better than in the past where they didn't have electricity, they didn't have enough food, they didn't have this and that. So they have increasingly have better life. And what has happened is that we have lost perspective and 
one of the reasons why I'm so pessimistic, I mean, not pessimistic, I'm so optimistic is that I've had so many challenges and difficulties and I decided to you know, put in that work and to put in the effort to be more optimistic and, and, and make the things that I wanted to happen, happen. Because again, optimism takes work and it takes effort because it's not our default reaction to things. And going back to the lack of perspective thing is that the world has become so good to the point where we, we have lost this perspective of what's good and what's bad. And unless we get, you know, like something like the virus, such, such a great example for us to realize and to be, kind of become more optimistic because after the virus and after everything gets normal, people are going to be a lot more grateful, a lot more thankful, and a lot more optimistic because of, the, because of what happened. And if it's not for the challenges and difficulties, people don't really understand, um, you know, topics like like this, for example. So there's different drivers. The reason why people are generally pessimists, but I want to refer to a specific quote in your book. It says, "I humbly believe we need to teach people, especially younger generations, how to be optimistic." So if there's a common trend of pessimism then how do we spread optimism and encourage people to be more optimistic and look at the, the glass as half full as opposed to half empty? You know, how do we instill this in our younger generations? Of course, of course. And Martin Seligman discovered in the 1980s and 90s that optimism is something you can learn. And as I, as I told you in the in earlier, is that pessimism is something kind of a human nature we're genetically wired so it's kind of within us already and optimism takes effort it takes something it takes we need to learn it not it's not something that is second nature to to us and according to some studies it's not really clear whether whether optimism comes from 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 our genes or or, or genetics per se so how do we teach someone to be more optimistic? How do we make that happen? So, and again, it's something that we need to teach younger people because if we don't teach it, they don't learn, they don't, they don't know um, to, to do that. So uh, in the book, I, have, I design, develop a process on how to be more optimistic and, and how to reach that goal. So let's go one more one. So the... The method that I have is I call BESS. How do you learn optimistic? With a method BESS. So BESS, why, why is it BESS? So optimum, optimism comes from the word optimum, which translates from Greek. That means looking for the best and being always the best. So BESS. So the first one is being positive. Of course, we need to be positive in order to to be more optimistic. And again, optimism is not just about being positive all the time, but rather having the optimism mindset over the long term, and specifically when problem and difficulties arises. Second one, energy. So in the book, I talk a lot about how you should have processes and, and how you should live your life according to maximizing your energy and doing and having energy all the time. For me, I, I have energy all the time. 
So you need you need to have certain habits and, and certain things you need to do certain things differently in order to have energy because like I guess in the beginning, optimism isn't our default reaction. It takes work and energy. Success for S. Success because we need to have these these goals in the end. We need to have our goal of what we want, so we focus on our we focus on achieving our goals and and when people don't have a goal, don't have a mission, people become nihilistic. And when people become nihilistic, they become complacent. When they become complacent, they become pessimistic. When they become pessimistic, they do nothing. It's basically a vicious cycle. So having this goal and, and having the S that it stands for success is really important. And then for the last one, for best and the N's and T, T that stands for today. We need to be grateful. We need to understand how to how to be more grateful and understand how and learn from the history. And hey, we've gotten to a point where we're, we have such a good life. Even if, even if you if you don't think you have a good one, you probably do. And being grateful, you know, some people like meditating. Some people like to do meditation, this and that. But finding ways to to be grateful. So how to be optimistic? Use the method best i like how you put that it's because i'm always somebody that you could teach me a bunch of different things you could teach me concepts whatever but unless i have something to act on it's difficult for me to implement it into my life so i've always found that i'm the books that i'm most interested in the articles i'm most interested in is you know you introduce something to me you know listen there's all these people around us our generation they're they're pessimists you know, we have to be more optimistic or right, how do I become optimistic? And you give them a, the best plan and you give them something tangible that they can apply to their lives. And I think that's really actionable. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to, because like, again, like the books that I enjoyed, like you do are books that have like the bigger picture and, and explain everything, but also some actionable steps that you can do right now, today, like right away. Like you, you close a book and you start doing something differently. You learn something. So that's why I wanted to get really tactical. Hey, do this, do that, and be really specific. Yeah, I love that. What are some of your favorite books? Um, in one topic, I read a lot of books. <laughs> mm, I read a lot of books too. I would probably okay. So, favorite book about marketing because you said you like marketing, and favorite book about self help. Okay, so I mean, I, I like marketing, and but marketing kind of a like a means to an end not like not necessarily but like marketing like i said like i'm literally writing a book about yeah you're writing a book about marketing is gonna die yeah so (laughs) so i i believe in it but it's not like uh like that so um how about we change that one to another another thing um (laughs) let's do business right yeah that works so so for business three books for business um the this book i love that book so much is zero to one by peter thiel it's such a interesting book and, and so different, so unique. So like something that you don't read a lot. Uh, it just for me it was like so different. And like for example, a lot of people want to be like more soccer or like Bill Gates, but the next Bill Gates and the next Mark Zuckerberg are not going to be on the next Facebook or the next Microsoft. They're going to be some doing something else. So like like understanding that little thing, you're like, wow, like of course that makes sense, but but like we're basically just going on on like automatic. 
So that's a great book that I like so much. The the other one that I liked a lot about business is that one for sure. There was a good book that I read when I began reading almost like a book a week a few years ago was about Good to Great by Phil Collins, I think is his name. The author name. Yeah. Yep. Such a great book. Again, just understanding like the culture, the mindset of how to create great companies um, was great. Like those things that you know are true, but until you see those things written down in words, it, it's when they had an effect on you. That that was a great book. And the the last one about about business, I want to think about a like an unusual one per se, was a it's an interesting book. I kind of um, difficult name. Um, but it was a book about, I forget the name. Um, don't worry about it. We could, yeah, we can move I know. On. It's a, such a great book. But I forget the name. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so yeah. So for the, the self-help books, um, my book, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but the, <laughs> it was a book that is it's kind of simple. Like it's like everyone should read this book would be setting habits of highly effective people. Such a great book. Uh, I would highly recommend reading the book. Um, the other book I would recommend, um, it's a good book that you, it, it can give you a lot of perspective, especially now, is Man's Search for, for Meaning. It's a pretty good book. Um, I mean, not necessarily self-help, but it's a book that I enjoy a lot reading. Um, our, it's a book... It's that kind of got short book. It's about eighty page book about physics. Um, I mean, like totally unrelated to health, to self help. But the author is such a good writer. His name is Carlo Rovelli, and that book is called Seven Brief Lessons um, on Physics. Why I mean, why am I interested in physics? Because I think, I mean, science is the engine of the of technology and in the economy. And, uh, and we need to, you know, I think so, such of the internet and the, just the internet came and like the TV, radio and everything came from the science. So great businesses are built from the science and great technology are built on the science and not necessarily just from hustling per se. So I'm really interested in that. Too. What technologies are you most interested in right now and you think have the most potential to grow? Between like blockchain, AI, IoT, are you are you into that kind of stuff too? A little bit. I mean, uh, when people start talking about like this and kind of like passwords technologies, that's probably those like those technologies are probably not going to be that relevant. Uh, that's kind of what I think. So I think sure, that technologies are going to be important. But I think what's going to be most more, more important and actually relevant is what's going to come from those technologies and not, and not the technology itself. Like for example, like no one thought the internet was going to be such a good, like such a big deal. And the internet is a big deal, but what comes like within, like what comes out of it, is it's actually the, the important thing. So I think if I would could say like two things. Would definitely biotech, um, just from longevity to 
building organs, like just having like like Legos type of organs and like just being able to build organs from just having like a 3D print machine. That that's pretty pretty cool. I artificial intelligence is an interesting one. Not like the like not necessarily the having artificial intelligence just kill everyone and do stuff like that. <laughs> I'm most interested in the type of artificial intelligence that is going to deal with our decisions per se. So I'll give you an example. So what's going to happen is that we are basically going to have machines do the decisions for us. So we're basically going to be just doing things, but we're not going to be making decisions as we do like today. So for example, you probably made a decision today when you, when you ate your cereal and when you, and when you went to the supermarket, you made that you made a decision of buying the right type of milk, but maybe you got confused and you made a mistake because that milk isn't the one that you like. So what's going to happen in the future is that you're going to make better decisions because the machines are going to know you so well and know your taste and know your, how you make decisions with, with an accuracy of a hundred with, with almost a hundred percent. So you're going to make better decisions, but kind of like the human nature of like making wrong decisions and like being like nostalgic about it in, in a way, it's going to go away. So that's kind of what I'm interested in too. Yeah, I'm super interested in that too. Like from a an AI standpoint, machine learning, I've, I've done a lot of studying oh, about Such a, and big yeah. data as well. Oh, that's that that's too. actually what I studied at. At college, I studied business analytics. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice. Thanks. I love that a lot, too. Yeah. So I, I definitely, I like how you put that, too, with all, with all those technologies. All of them are new technologies. They're buzzwords. But the only way to kind of predict the their successes is what they're going to do to benefit humanity. So from an AI standpoint, in the context of what you were saying, it's reducing the amount of time that we spend on making decisions, repetitive decisions. So if I get up in the morning and I have a morning routine and robots or an AI is making decisions for me that I don't have to think about and waste energy on. So I can spend time on the things that matter most to me. So that's something I'm really excited about. And I'm glad you, you brought that up. Exactly. I mean, humans are going to be doing creative tasks. So if you're listening right now, what should I do with my life? Do something that is creative and do something that takes creativity and takes a like coding and like AI. It, it's kind of hard to do, but like it's kind of like common sense to us. So if, of course, like you really need to like, un- like understand a little bit how coding and like, and like programming kind of works to really f- figure that out. But it's super simple. Um, do that. And, but we're basically just going to be doing creative works. So I think focusing on creativity is going to be a such a big deal. And a lot of people are not doing that. So being really, finding a way to be creative and unique and, you know, so-called original is going to be one of the best things that you can do and invest in yourself and for yourself. Yeah, I 100% agree to that because... The if you look up any list of the most desirable qualities in a job candidate or for 
let's yeah, let's stick with that. So someone that is looking for a job or someone that is being recruited, it's your critical thinking ability, it's your creativity, it's your communication skills. And those are all things within your control. Eventually, repetitive tasks are going to, I mean, I could be wrong, or they're going to be replaced by machines and stuff. And the creators are going to be the people that rise to the top. It's the people like you who are starting businesses that are creating, they're making, that are starting their own books and they're doing their own thing and putting themselves out there are the people that are going to make a lasting impact because those are the skills and those are the assets that live on forever. Totally. And again, I'm, I'm not like the, the smartest person. I mean, I, I, it's like, I don't have like a, the, the latest AI startup or like, you know, I raise a hundred million dollars in, in seed funding. No, I mean, and, and that's not really what you should be you know, focusing on. I think what should be, what should you should be focusing on is using leverage when I, when I say leverage, I, I mean using the internet in starting in doing things that could benefit and help other people, and, and you you do it just from for for helping and and helping avoid those mistakes. For example, the book there was a way to for me for the book was for me to to do that and to and to help other people because having the the uh, like the optimism trait is such a an essential thing that if you don't have the probability of being successful, whatever you do, it's going to be basically skyrockets. Of course, there's also some, some type of survivor's bias and, and this and that, but if you have, if you're optimistic, your probability of success is going to be a way higher than if you're not. Um, but being creative in, in using your creativity, using leverage of the internet, it's the right formula, I would say. Exactly. Especially if there's so much emphasis on critical thinking, creativity. If you don't have that optimism, you're not going to be creating because you're just, you're, you're pessimistic, you're negative. You think that you're going to get bad feedback or maybe you're hesitant to put your ideas out there. And I think that's why I'm so intrigued by the, the contents of your book because, and what we've talked about so far, because it, it really applies to where I think the future is going. And I just had a conversation with somebody from the CEO of a company called Partheon. And what they're doing is that they're trying to, they're trying to bring creators together to change the way that we learn online. So they're trying to revolutionize the, the education system and how people absorb information. What they're doing is they're targeting people that are creating things that are big on Twitter, that have blogs, vlogs that have that are creating books and these creators, and they're trying to organize them in a way that's structured so that people can learn from the assets and the curation that everybody's doing around the world. Because who knows what the future of education is to look like, especially due to the, the COVID pandemic. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that turns out. Hopefully better. And I think it will be definitely better. I think for us and, and for the students, especially for, especially, especially like, 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 here's the thing too. Like if we go back to the creativity question, like in the school, like creativity is not rewarded. I think it, creativity is almost punished. Like if you're creative, like you're not 
allowed to to coexist in in such an environment such as a school where discipline and being complacent is rewarded in this value over things such as creativity and, and being different being unique and hopefully 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 i think we could we could switch the education system from a and especially with with what's happening now hopefully we're able to switch that and, and going to to do something that requires that values creativity and curiosity and and like project-based learning in a way and because again it's not like the teachers or the or the people from the education board or, or anything are bad what's happening is that there are not incentive and curiosity and and, and creativity are hard things to measure and I, it does improve because there's no competition there's no money at play there's no risk at play so like i give an example a plane has to work because if it doesn't people die that's cool that are not that there are that are not incentive like that if people don't learn well if they are not if they don't are creative sure like it doesn't hurt the economy doesn't hurt their world in the short term but in the long term that's where we're seeing the the effects in the in the impacts that that, that has so what do you think the the future of education is going to look like because um, you're you're and what are your what are your plans for college i forgot to ask you um so i mean i'm definitely not like i'm a like a like a magician or whatever like i don't know the future but i can only <laughs> I could only, I could only try to contribute to what I think is the best of, of the education system because anything that I've learned that I that I've talked to you today I didn't learn in school, of course, of course. I mean, it all depends on the context, but the future of education and the real breakthrough is going to come when we do some type of thing with project-based edu- education so for me i'm always working on projects that to me is like that thing like i don't like um like school i mean sure like if you need to get the homework done and stuff but that's not really applicable i think what they what the future should look like would be project-based education and the and the grader should not be the teacher but the world you should be creating projects and products and whatever you want to create and the and the greater the audience should not be your teacher or your classmates but the entire world and that like that like that would change a lot the like that would that would be interesting too and that would i would love to 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 see that happening and in teachers i'm not necessarily saying that teachers should i don't know like go get a different different job or this and that i think teachers should be the mentors of those projects that are going to be happening and teachers are not necessarily being going to be or the, or the best teachers are not going to be the teachers who study education but if you want to learn about for example i, I love statistics and, and how it can help how how you can create like businesses and stuff so your teachers should not be someone who study who study like education in college and, and maybe learn some statistics your teacher should be like the quote-unquote mentor and that person would help you like like maybe that like a person's 
sort of a company related to statistics and he really knows what happens and if that help that person could help you like create like a company or a project or a or a or an academic an academic paper um to do that so that's what i think and that's what i would look forward to hopefully someone makes it happen if not i will try for sure in the future um but and then for for me um for college uh um I'm, i'm going to to college um a little hesitant about it but uh you know kind of force <laughs> to going to to college um but i mean but i, th- I think it's it has some some positive too uh hopefully not many negative but i think some positive that i see what i'm trying to do is that i'm going to engineering because i'm going uh what i would like to do is combine engineering and business to create like better businesses and like understand like the engineering mindset to create and execute on those ideas uh, but i definitely don't want to study business or anything like that because there'd be such a if college i mean if, if some people think college is a waste of time studying business would be little little waste of time uh but that's a little unrelated and yeah that's what i'm thinking of doing like engineering to again to have that to keep going with my mission yeah i actually just so i graduated from business school i have a business degree but i i agree with what you're saying though and i think that a lot of people would also agree because a lot of the things that you learn in business school are they're building blocks they're not they're introductions they're not tangible things and like we said before we were talking about we like the books where they're introducing a concept they're telling us what to do in business school and this is something i talked about with my parents earlier today actually was I didn't even learn how to start a business in business school. I, I I learned through projects that I'd worked on in the past. But if you asked any regular business student in the United States who went to college in the United States, they don't know how to start their, they, they didn't learn how to start their own business. That, that's not what they're teaching you. And it's, if I could do it again, I would focus on something that's tangible that I can build. And that's why I think, you know, when I have conversations with people about the future of education, a lot of people talk about Lambda School. Do you know what Lambda School is? Yes. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, a pretty unique model in terms of what education could look like because you're incentivizing people to gain the skills that they can, to get great jobs, to give back to the program or institutions providing those skills that they are using to support themselves. And that's a pretty unique way of doing things. So when you talk about the future of education and the kind of future in terms of project-based learning, as opposed to just reading textbooks and taking tests and applying that practical knowledge, because that's where you're actually learning about stuff. That's kind of what I think when I think of the future of education. Totally. And what's happening now is that with, for example, let's say that you want to be a farmer. And you like you've never gone you've never gone to a farm you've never touched an animal, but you have the idea of I don't know some some movie or whatever, and then you want to be a farmer. So you go to college, you spend like your your bunch of money and bunch of time, and then you graduate, and then you go to a farm, and you realize that you don't like the sun, or that you realize that you don't like the smell. Now what are you gonna do? And this and that is the problem, and that is what is happening right now. What is happening is that we think, and again, we make these assumptions that we know, we know what we when we know what we like, but in reality, we don't. We have no idea. 
And I think what we should do, kind of what happened with Lempa, in a way, is that, hey, do you want to learn? A, do you want to be a lawyer? Let's go to a court and go to this and that and learn. This like this like this is what I need to know to become a lawyer. So once you know what you need to learn, you go back and you learn it instead of the other way. Again, counterintuitive is not the way we do it, but it's the best way to do it. Absolutely. And that's kind of what internships are for and why they're such an I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey and the business school puts so much emphasis on internships. You have to get an internship, get an internship in order to graduate. You have to do it. And that's kind of what they're hinting at. You know, if you want to go into consulting, that's what I'm going into. I'm starting in August. Good if you want to go into consulting, thank you. And then, you know, you, you do an internship in consulting. You see if you like it and then you pivot if you don't enjoy it. If you want to go into software engineering, then you go and be a software engineer for 10 weeks. You learn every, you learn about it and then you decide if you like it and then you pursue it or you say you don't want to do it anymore. And this kind of goes back to what we were first saying about, you know, if you want to start something, the first thing is starting and trying a bunch of things that you like and dislike. You said you, when you were in high school, you joined a bunch of different clubs you know, when you started reading, you read a bunch of different books and then you focus on the things you like and you, you dislike. Totally. I mean, thinking back, I mean, people thought I was crazy and I, I didn't care. I mean, going to you, a you club, are a little crazy. I what? I you said see? you are a little crazy. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine, like, just imagine going to a club every single day. What kids like no one does that. No one, probably no one ever will after me. But for me, like that was a way to really know what i like and what i didn't like and and i mean just knowing i mean it's little things so little things that that changes your life um and the and the other thing i would say is that is that you know with with i think with like internships schools are trying the education system is trying but again there's that are not incentive if you can learn anything from economics is that people respond to incentive in that in that we have a lot of bad incentive and then in the incentives that we have in place are not aligned to, to with our benefit. Um, and again, I don't think or I would like to think that the educational system the people from the educational board are not evil. I would like to think that everything that is happening is because of indifference. There's not money, there's not competition, therefore it doesn't improve. Yeah, and those are those are all good thoughts. And something I wanted to talk about is that so you recently did something called MIT Launch X, and that was through Wharton. You, I think I read. It was yeah, through Wharton, but the University of Pennsylvania. Got it. So you did this program, and we were talking about education. Can you just elaborate a little bit on what this was like? kind of what you learned, what you liked, you dislike, and kind of relate it to what, how that that program could kind of be applicable to what the future of education could be like. Yeah, that one was an interesting program. Now it's called LaunchX. It's basically a residential summer. I mean, now it's like online because of COVID, but it's called LaunchX, and it's basically a program for high school students 
for to create and like to learn entrepreneurship. So the way that you learn entrepreneurship is you literally create startups. So you basically get paired with a group of people. So like for example, my team and I they were participants from all over the world. So my team, there was someone from Texas, someone from Indonesia, some in someone from China. Kind of diverse. And from I mean in me, I live in the US, but I would I came from South America, Venezuela. So it was pretty diverse. So you really know and understand how different people think and, and how to work with them. And, and of course, we had issues, we had challenges, communication issues, and a bunch of different th- and stuff, but you really learn. So the way you do it is that you go for four weeks and you stay there on campus in the dorms and everything for four weeks. And you create a startup from a scratch, from the idea generation to market research and like market research, like primary, secondary market research. And... You have that, and then you and then you have people. Hey, so today we're going to be doing market research, and then you got professor from UPenn. You get you have entrepreneurs, really like really successful entrepreneurs, who talk about how how he did and how he learned to do it well, so we don't make those mistakes. And then and then we go out literally on the streets, and we research people, or we use Google Forms, or we use surveys, and we do this and that, and then we do that, and then. And then we present the idea, which we kind of have like board meetings with like mentor meetings and everything is kind of artificial, but it like, it doesn't have to be because like you could keep going with a startup. So our team didn't continue with the, with the startup because like of the time differences, especially like China and like Indonesia and, and my team were seniors at the time. So they had college applications. I was a junior at the time. Um, so we didn't continue it, but a lot of people did it and, and some of them are, are successful. Um, and again, like the type of, and you learn from people who have done it already and done it well, and not necessarily the professors who, who have a lot of the time who have done it and have like the confidence, but they have a, a fake type of confidence because what they know, they know from textbooks and not real experience, which a lot of the times is different. Again, I'm not taking, I'm not, I'm not the medicine professors because they have a lot of, like they put a lot of work and, and effort into being a professor and, and doing that, which is admirable. But again, it's not the same thing. I agree. And that's, that's why I wanted to talk about it because you guys, I think that's what the future is. You know, it's, it's giving people the, the resources to try things, giving them the environment to do it the mentors, the resources and everything. And then you decide if you want to pursue that and you learn a lot of things along the way. Definitely. And, and here's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm thinking. Sure. Like that sounds good. Like the Lamba school and like the, the program that I did and sounds good, but here's, here's what I'm kind of, what I'm hesitant, what I'm hesitant about is that we are always, you know, we have like a contrarian nature. So if we, if I told you, Hey, drink water you're probably less likely to do it so uh, i think a lot of people are, are they think that all oh, this is works and sure it does but it works when you take the initiative to do it yourself so i don't know how that would work when i tell you hey now we're going to start a launch a startup i don't know like i don't know how people would react to that uh, it could be wrong but i think what i'm thinking what i'm guessing is that people might react the same way that 
they are reacting now. So it would become like the same thing, but just different. And then again, people like us are going to have a conversation in 10 years and 20 years and hey, like this is happening. I think, I think, and people are going to say, I think we should go back to having just professors and just schools and <laughs> who knows what. But I think that's what's happening because of our human nature. And I think a lot of people are not taking into account our nature. True. People don't like to be told what to do. And that was like a common theme in college when you look at the curriculum that we have to follow. People are always like, why do I have to take a natural science class if I'm a business major? Why do I have to take three writing classes if I'm a business major? And it's because that's what the curriculum says. That's what the university says. That's what the academics and the, the that's what the academics that made the curriculum say that you need in order to graduate from and get a stamp of approval from Rutgers University, Harvard, you know, Stanford. And it's it's interesting because we talked about like, the difference between like experts and people who have practical practical experience and academics. You know, who's making this curriculum? And who's one to say that in order to graduate from Rutgers University and get a degree in business analytics that you have to take these courses. You know, you mentioned that it's difficult to find in order to educate people, they have to be motivated to, to educate themselves and they kind of have to know what they like and they dislike. And that whole process is, is tough. So you're right. When you say, you know, we, we could change the education system and then 20 years from now we can go back to the way it was. And, it's just going to be interesting with all the new types of technology out there, you know, what's going to change, what's going to stick, how it's going to improve and kind of what it's going to look like moving forward. Yeah. And I think not avoiding being um, too extreme because when people are too like when, when people are, when people are on the extremes, both ends do nothing. Um, and I think what we, you can like, find, find a balance, in, but, but find the right balance between the two. It's like, find that way to get people to, to take the initiative without telling them. Like, telling them without necessarily telling them. I don't know how that would work. I think it's incredibly challenging. But we're able to find a way to tell people, do this, without necessarily telling them is the right way to do it. Exactly. Well... I think that we we covered a lot of stuff, and the last last thing I want to ask you is, what do you think it means to be gritty and curious? Gritty and curious. Um, so definitely a curious person. And when I think about it, I think about a person who is so curious that that person he or she wants to learn everything, like. Like that person wants to learn so much, so much, so much that might seem like a greedy person, but in reality, that person is becoming wiser, nicer, and a better human being by being curious. Curiosity is the beginning of, well, of a lot of good things and habits. And for me, curiosity was everything. And curiosity is why we do things and curiosity is why we improve. And if we're able to have curiosity, we're able to make that world that we have actually happen. I love the way you put that. And that's the first time I'm asking a, a guest that question, but I was like, 
this dude's probably one of the most curious people I've ever talked to. So I better ask him that. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> I mean, like that's that, 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 that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, you're definitely on to big and bigger and better things. You're an inspiration. You're you're killing it. I mean, I keep I keep talking to like younger people, and they're doing like amazing things. And I want to do whatever I can in in my nature to or in my ability to you know help you guys out and share your story. And if you need, if you need help from me with anything, you know, just, just let me know. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm definitely young. I mean, I don't, I don't know everything. I don't know a lot of things and having people like you just offer, just humbly offer. Hey, I'd be more than happy to, to help you on the journey and something that really means a lot. And I really appreciate. And I think, we need a lot more people like you, and thank you for for doing this, and thank you for doing something like this. You're really making a difference, so keep doing it, keep having these stories, and keep, keep having these conversations. Um, you're such a great job, and really something that I that I admire. So thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much. Thanks, Juan David. Appreciate it, man. This has been the Gritty and Curious Show, where we interview the world's smartest creators, self-starters, and entrepreneurs. If you're looking to start something, we want to help. Visit grittyandcurious.com for details. If you enjoyed this show, you'd be the best if you subscribed, left a rating, and wrote a quick review. By doing this, you let us know that you're listening and it inspires us to keep creating. Until next time, stay gritty and curious.